And now we're in Hebrews chapter 2. Uh, we're going to read the, fir- the first four verses of that chapter. I hope you have notes uh, so you can follow up with me as well. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1 to verse 4. Here is what the author of Hebrews have said. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proven steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard it. God, who bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. Amen. So last week we finished chapter 1. And if you remember, uh, to recap here, the book of Hebrews is written to um, Jewish people who became Christian, and then after they became Christian, they wanted to go back to Judaism. And the author of Hebrews is writing the whole book, that's the purpose of the whole book in the Bible, to tell them not to do it. And he spent, again, the first 10 chapters arguing the superiority of Christ, how Christ is superior than a lot of the stuff from the Old Testament. uh, In chapter 1, we have seen that Christ is superior than the prophets, and he's superior than the angels. And we're going to continue to see that he's saying Christ is superior than Moses, than Joshua, than the high priest of the Old Testament. And he continues on and on and on to argue how Christianity, how Christ is far more superior than the Old Testament elements. And by arguing that Christianity is superior, he's saying, don't do it. Don't leave that is superior to go to what is inferior. And then after that, the last two chapters or three, 11, 12, and 13, pretty much, he's giving them some practical application. How can they live their lives and endure persecution? So again, that's the context of the whole book. As we have seen, chapter 1 The author of Hebrews in the first three verses was proving to the readers that Jesus is superior than the prophets of the Old Testament. And then from verse 4 all the way till the end of chapter 2, he's arguing that Jesus is superior than the angels. From chapter 1 verse 4 all the way to the end of chapter 1, which we stopped last week, The author of Hebrews used seven different references from the Old Testament to argue that even from the Old Testament, we see that Jesus is superior than the angels. And before the author of Hebrews continued his argument that Jesus is superior than the angels in chapter 2, he paused here in these four verses, verse 1, 2, 3, and 4, and he gave his first warning to the readers. And he's like really, really warning them with really such a strong terminology to tell them not to go back to Judaism. And actually there is five warnings throughout the book of Hebrews that we're going to encounter. It's kind of like in the middle of the argument, sometimes the author of Hebrews stops and then he issued that stern warning to the reader never to consider going back to Judaism. Now these five passages, the five warning passages are... Some of the very difficult passages in the scripture, mainly because um, when it comes to the faith or the belief that the doctrine that can a Christian actually die, can the Christian, a born again believer, backslide 
to the point that they actually deny Christ and end up in hell? That's the question that a lot of denomination is split on. That's the difference between pretty much Calvinism and Arminism, which is very, pretty big in, in evangelical churches. Calvinists say, if you're born again, you're, you're going to go to heaven for sure. Arminists say, you can be born again, you can lose your salvation, and you can end up in hell. And the Arminism, the ones who argue that you can lose your salvation, these five passages in the book of Hebrews, for me, kind of their only reference, their only resource in a way that they can find to say, hey, the Bible here says that you can be a Christian, you can be once upon a time a born-again believer, yet you can backslide and apostatize to the point of no redemption and you end up in hell. So these five passages have divided the Christian, evangelical Christians for, for, for the longest time, for centuries and centuries. Um, they disagree on the meanings of these five passages. And we're not going to resolve it here, you know. As we go through these five passages, we're not going to have all the answers. But we're going to try to figure it out as much as we can. What is this uh, passage is talking about? And maybe after we do the whole book of Hebrews, we'll, we'll take a week or two maybe and just talk about that, the eternal security of the believers and give special attention to these five passages to say, do they teach yes or no? For the eternal security of the believers. So uh, again, five passages, five warning passages that really have been debated throughout the surgery centuries, and really, really, really hard to come to a, an absolute hundred percent conclusion. But we'll try as much as we can to figure it out. So let's look into that first passage. The first word is therefore, right? Therefore. We talked about this word before. It means that whatever happens before this word is the reason why of, of what's going to happen after this word. You guys are with me? Because something is this way, therefore you need to act this way. And in chapter 1, the author of Hebrews was arguing that Jesus is superior than the prophets and than the angels. And now he's concluding that because we have established the truth that Jesus is superior than the prophets and Jesus is superior than the angels of the Old Testament. Therefore, in this passage right here, he's saying that the message that was spoken by Jesus is far Far more superior than the message spoken by the prophets and by the angels and we have to give the utmost heed to that message you guys are with me that is the word therefore it links chapter 1 with these four verses and then he moves on and say we therefore what is the next word we, we right it doesn't say you he says we, we. and he puts himself um, with the readers in that context here, and he say, this is not this warning is not just for you guys. This warning also includes me, right? In a way, that's what he's saying, right? He's saying we must give the more earnest heed, and that is the most problematic word in this passage. That is the most difficult word in this passage. Why? The author of Hebrews used the word we here in saying, we must give more earnest heed, including himself, right? I must, alongside you guys, listen to this very careful. And then he say, the things we have heard. And then he say, lest we, including himself, drift away. You guys are with me? And then he says, for in verse uh, 3, how shall 
not you, but how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? And the problem with this word we here is this. The question now, is the author of Hebrews concerned that he also might abandon Christ to the point that he will go beyond redemption and that he himself will ultimately neglect that salvation and, and never, never even be saved and end up in heaven, right? Because he's using the word we, 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 including himself in that stern warning that he's giving to the, the, the readers of that time. So which one is it? Is he, is he afraid that he also might lose his salvation? Or why is he using the word we here versus the word you? Well, it's really hard. And if people think that you can lose your salvation, obviously the word we here for them is a proof text that the Bible actually say that even the author of Hebrews was concerned about that. I personally don't think that the author of Hebrews here is really concerned about he himself as well abandoning Christ to the point that he will absolutely forsake Christianity, go back and become a Jew himself and say, oh, Christ is not the Messiah. Christianity is not from God. And he abandoned all of that and go back to become a Jew. I don't believe that really this is what's on his mind. Obviously, this is more of like what I have, what I think more than an absolute solid opinion. I cannot pointed to you from that passage that the author of Hebrews will never do that. It just doesn't make any sense that the author of Hebrews who's writing this passage, this letter to the, to the, to the readers and warn them from abandoning Christ and encouraging them to suffer even if they have to die so they do not abandon Christ. It will not make any sense that he's telling them to stick with Christ even if they have to, to die, yet he himself is not really sold out on that idea. You guys are with me? So to say that he's including himself in this, it's really hard for me to buy. Some Christians trying to resolve that issue of having the word we by saying, oh, he's actually talking to Christian and drifting away here is not a reference to eternal damnation. It's just a reference to not walking fully with Christ, not being fully in the Christian walk. And that's really what he's concerned about here. That's also hard to buy because it's not the context of the book of Hebrews. In the whole book, he's warning against apostasy. That is the major concern that is on the author of Hebrews' mind. That people can leave Christ to the point that say he's not the Messiah and go back all the way to Judaism. So that's really what's on his mind. And to say that he's here just talking about not fully walk the Christian walk is also hard to argue. Hard to buy per se. So both ways, it's kind of like not very convincing. This is just for me. To say that this is uh, not talking about eternal damnation, I don't buy it. To say that he himself is in that boat and that he's not sure if he himself will end up in heaven unless he actually work on this himself is also hard for me to buy. So why is he using the word we? You guys are with me so far? You see the, the, the problem that we're trying to resolve? Because if you don't see the problem, we don't have to resolve it, right? <laughs> so why is he using the word we? I don't know for sure. I'm going to, again, I want to wait till I read throughout the whole book. And then we'll have a more solid grasp 
on how he talks and why he's doing this. But for me, what I can see so far is this. The author of Hebrews usually use the word we as this is just his style of, of talking to his readers. He's just encouraging them. He's saying, hey, we're all in it together. Let's do this together. It is not that he's trying to make a theological statement that he is concerned about his eternal salvation, that he might lose it one day, and he himself might abandon Christ to the to the point of apostasy. I think it's just more like, you know, when I preach to you guys, or I'm a preacher here, and they talk to you and say, hey, let's all pursue Christ. Let's all try to repent of our sins. I'm including myself with you as a way of just lifting all of us up, kind of like saying, in another word, this is, this is our, you know, goal as a family, as, as a group of believers. So let's do this together. Let's all strive together. So I think that's more of his style than he's trying to make a theological statement. Twelve times, twelve times in the book of Hebrews, he say, let us do this. Let us as a group do this. For example, Hebrews 12.1, let us, lay, let us, not let you guys, uh, you bunch of sinners, it's let us as a whole group, you know. Let us let aside every weight and every sin that can easily ensnares us. Again, he's putting himself with them, that he's subject to sinning, that he's, he's, he's also striving to, again, sin as much as he can. And then he say, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You guys see that? He just puts himself with them. It doesn't mean here that he's not trying already to run that, fa- that race with endurance. He is trying, obviously, but he puts himself with the readers just as a way of encouraging them. And he does that 12 times. This is what I think is the point here. As we go through Hebrews, we, again, after we finish the book, I want to visit back all these five passages and try to look into um, that doctrine of the eternal security of the believer. But I need to read his book, all, all of it together, study it all together so I can have a more comprehensive understanding of what he's saying and the wording that he's using throughout the letter. So far, so good? Move on. So we have two words right now in that passage. Therefore... We, and what is the third word? Must. He's saying, we sh- he doesn't say we should, or we sh- perhaps should, or probably should. He's saying we must. When you say the word must, that means it is a necessity. It is something that needed to be done, that we have to pay the utmost heed to the word that we have heard. He's using it in an impersonal way. He's, it's like this. He's saying, therefore... It is necessary, it is necessity that we should do this. One must or has to do this. It indicates that this is, there is something, there is force to that word that we must do it and we don't have the option of not heeding that word that we have heard. You guys are with me? And then he says, what do we have to do? We have to heed to the utmost the word which we heard. What is he talking about here? What word is he talking about? This phrase here, the word that we heard, goes backward and goes forward as well. It goes backward all the way to Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. He says, God in times past did what? Spoke to our forefathers through the prophets and then he spoke to us in his son. Right? Right? So if God spoke in Hebrews 1, 1, then what is our response in Hebrews 2, 1? We must give the utmost heed to the word that we just heard. You guys see that? God spoke it in the Son. We must hear it and we must obey it. But also it goes forward. Later on in that passage, he says this. 
in verse 2. For if the word spoken by angels uh, proven steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord, right? And that's here what he's referring to when he said we must give the utmost heed to what we have heard. He's talking about the message of salvation that started being spoken by the Lord Jesus himself. You guys are with me? So what is he talking about here when he says what we have heard? He's talking about the message of the gospel that God has spoken in his son from Hebrews 1.1 that start being manifested and proclaimed to us by Jesus himself. And that's what he said two verses later. Amen? Amen. And then he said, we must give the utmost heed. Why? Lest we drift away. Lest, lest we drift away. That sh- the wording that the author of Hebrews here chosen is very, very, very interesting. Have you ever seen anybody being drifted before in, in a river or in a sea or something like that? What happens when somebody's being drifted? I'm thinking, let's imagine this situation. <clears throat> You're trying to cross a river from one side to another, right? And there's a bunch of rocks that you're trying to step on so you can cross that river, okay? And then you take the first step and you feel this solid, this rock is solid and you take the step and then you move and you put your foot on the second rock and you feel like it's solid and you try as much as you can put your foot on a solid rock but then something happened, you slip and before you know it, you're being drifted by that river, right? That's how drifting happened, right? So think about that. When you're taking the step, you're actually thinking that when you're taking the step that ended up you being drifted, do you think you're safe or do you think you're in danger? You think you're safe, right? Well, but when you're taking the step, you think you're being safe, but then you slip and then you're being drifted, right? That you're not thinking, if I take this step, I know I'm going to be drifted by the river, right? You're thinking you're safe. You're trying to be as cautious as possible, but you're thinking that every step you're taking so far is safe till Something happened, you slip, and that rock that you're thinking is going to hold you ended up not holding you or being too slippery that you actually slip on it, and now you're being drifted away, right? So it's kind of like you're trying to come as close as possible to the danger, but you're still thinking that you are okay. And before you know it, you're slipped and you're being drifted away. Amen? Now, if you have seen anybody being drifted in a river, do you think that person is drifted by their will or against their will? Against their will, right? If you're being drifted by the river, this is not really the direction you want to go. You don't want to fall out of that cliff being drifted. But you have no control. The river is carrying you and you're being drifted by that river. You guys are with me? And that's precisely what the author of Hebrews is warning us from. He's warning us from making small, tiny compromises that will end up making you being drifted away, far away from the salvation. You guys are with me? He's saying the danger is not that you know that you're jumping in a, in a river that will take you away and you intentionally do that. The danger is that you start doing minor compromises and these minor compromises, before you know it, going to drift you away from the message of salvation and the message of the gospel. Amen? 
That's why he said we should give not some sort of heed or listen as much as we can. We should give the utmost heed to that message of the gospel. Every minute detail that God tells us to do, we must listen to it and we must obey it. We must not compromise in any aspect or come close to sin in any way or shape or form. Because if you do so, you might think that you're safe. But at one point, the sin can grab you, sweep you and drift you away before you even know it. You'll be all the way drifted from the gospel, drifted from salvation, that you are actually even considering apostasy and considering full abandonment of Christ. You guys are with me? This is such a crazy warning. Amen? And it's for all of us, right? It's for all of us. That we should be very careful in our Christian walk. We should not compromise with sin. We should not come close to sin. Because sin is very deceitful. Sin is not going to come to you and say, Hey, come, leave Christ and walk with me. Sin is not going to do that to you. Sin is going to make you start making small, tiny compromises. One small compromise here. One small compromise there. And by the, before you know it, you have already been drifted away against your will. Away from Christ and away from salvation. Amen? This is such a dangerous place to be in. And throughout these small compromises, you think you're safe. You think you're still in. You're thinking you're not making really that big of a deal. But before you know it, you'll be drifted away. This is a warning not just for you, for me as well. We need to obey God 100%. Amen? Not 99%, not 99.9%. We need to obey God 100% and not compromise in any aspect of our walk with Him. And then He said, Why should we really give the utmost heed? Why should we, uh, what will keep us from being drifted away? He's saying in verse 2, For if the word spoken by angels. So now He's explaining to us why, the reasons why we should give the utmost heed to what we have heard. Now, what is he talking about when he said the word spoken by angels? Actually, he's talking about the law of the Old Testament. Okay? We don't see that very clearly in the Old Testament that the law, the Ten Commandments, was delivered to man through the mediation of angels. Like angels were mediator in delivering the message. We don't see that very clear in the Old Testament. We only see hints to it in Deuteronomy 33.2. But in the New Testament, there's a couple of scripture that clearly tells us that angels were mediator in delivering the law that was given to Moses by God. Stephen, uh, the first apostle who was murdered in Acts 7.53, talked to the Jewish people and he said this, You who have received the law that was given, what? Through angels, but have not obeyed it. It was given through angels, mediated by angels. Paul said in Galatians 3.19, this, The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. So he's saying that angels served as mediators in delivering the law from God to Moses. So the author of Hebrews is saying this. Here's the reason why we, you should give the utmost heed to the word that you heard, the word of the gospel. So you will not be drifted away. Because if the word spoken by angels, if the law of the Old Testament that was given to Moses have been proven steadfast. And every 
transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how much more, he say, can we escape if we neglect such a great salvation, not spoken by angels, but spoken by the Lord himself, confirmed by the apostle, and being bear witness to by God the Father himself through signs and wonders. Amen? In other words, he's saying... Pay the utmost heed because there is a great judgment if you do not obey the message of the gospel. Amen? And then there is three reasons he gives us, three reasons why we should give the utmost heed to the message of the gospel. Why that judgment will be so great. Number one, because it's a, because of the great judgment. Number two, because of the great salvation. And number three, because of the great messenger. You guys are with me? Here is why we should give the utmost heed. Number one, because of the great judgment. Number two, because of the great salvation. And number three, because of the great messenger. Number one, because of the great judgment. That's why he said in verse 2, For if the word spoken through angels, that's the law of the Old Testament, proven steadfast, and 90%, he says, right, of the transgression and disobedience. Does he say 90%? Does he say 95%? Every. How much of that every? That's 100%, right? Every single transgression and every single disobedience received a just punishment for it. Amen? The word that he's using here, proven steadfast, the word steadfast, really it has kind of like a buying selling agreement. It's kind of like a, a, a legal term where two people sign that agreement and it is binding to both the buyer and the seller. I love how the NIV put this word. The NIV put it as if the Old Testament, the word spoken by the law, proven binding. That's what the NIV said. I think that's the point of that word. It's a legal term. And the author of Hebrews is saying this. God in the Old Testament told the people that if you sin against me, you will be punished. And that word in the Old Testament that was delivered by messengers proven to be legally binding. So much so that God did not allow a single sin in the Old Testament to be to go unpunished. Every single transgression and every single sin received a just punishment for it in the past. Amen? I mean, let me just give you some examples. God in the Old Testament told the nation of Israel to go back and abolish the Canaanites in the land of Canaan. Why? Because they sinned against God and they have rejected every opportunity God has given them so they can repent. And because they have sinned, God told Israel, go and abolish all these seven nations in the land of Canaan, right? That's because God in the Old Testament did not tolerate sin from the Gentiles. But not only that, God did not tolerate the sin from His own people. When Israel sinned against God, God comes after them with the sword and with the punishment because He's a holy and a righteous God and He does not tolerate or accommodate sin. You guys are with me? Let me give you a couple of examples. Almost 15,000 people died in one day when Korah rebelled against Moses and said, Hey, I want to be leader too. Then God said, fine, you know, I'll show you the, who's the leader. Moses comes the next day and he said, separate from Noah and his company. And then Moses said, if God has chosen me, let the earth open its mouth and then swallow Korah and his family. And that happens. The earth opened its mouth, 250 people died right on the spot. Next day, the people are mad with Moses because Korah and his family are killed. What does God do? He sent the plague to them and 
The Bible says that 14,700 people died in one day. That's almost 15,000 people God killed in 24 hours because the people sinned against God. Amen? Let, let's give you another example. Almost 24,000 people died in one day when the nation of Israel went and committed adultery with the Moabites at the recommendation of Balaam, the prophet, the false prophet. Amen? So 24,000 people. God said do not commit adultery. The nation of Israel does not obey the word of God. But that word according to what the author of Hebrews is saying here is legally binding between God and between the nation of Israel. And because the nation has rejected the law of God, God in His wrath consumed 24,000 people in one day. Amen? David committed a sin. He wanted to count the people and so he can be full of pride. That sinful senses that he has committed ended up killing 70,000 people. The plague came and devoured 70,000 people within one day or two days, whatever it took. Three days, I think it's three days. Three days, 70,000 people died because the people, because David sinned against God. Amen? Every transgression and every disobedience was punished under the terms of the law of the Old Testament. God did not spare the 15,000 people when Korah rebelled. God did not spare the 24,000 people when his own people committed adultery with the Moabites. God did not spare 70,000 people when, when David did that sinful census. And the list goes on and on and on and on. I can stay here tell you stories about the Old Testament and how God did not accommodate or tolerate sin at all. Amen? I mean, he went after Moses to kill him because he didn't want to circumcise. He punished David, his favorite king, because he committed adultery. God does not accommodate or tolerate sin. And that's what the author of Hebrews is telling us here. If God has proven in the past that He's holy and that He's righteous and that every transgression and every disobedience will be punished, what makes you think that when you reject the gospel and you say no to Jesus, that you will go unpunished? Amen? You also will be punished. As a matter of fact, you will be punished even a whole lot more because you neglected even a greater commandment and a greater salvation God has provided for you. Amen? So he's saying if you don't heed the gospel, if you don't listen to the message of the gospel, there will be great judgment. It has already proven by what God has done in the Old Testament. But number two, you must heed because there is a great salvation that you're going to neglect if you do not hear the word of God. And that's why he said right after that. The author of Hebrews has a rhetorical question. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Amen? Obviously, that's a rhetorical question. The answer is, there is no way you will escape if you neglect such a great salvation. Amen? In other words, all the eschatological, the end of time terrors and judgment of God will fall upon him who turns away from the message of the gospel. Amen? How can you escape if you neglect so great a salvation? So how great this salvation is really is. Paul tells us about how great that salvation really is. And he says this in Philippians 2, 6 to 8. That Jesus himself, the son of God, 
who being in the form of God, being just like God the Father in every way, in every aspect, he left his glory. He did not want to hold on to equality with God for his own advantage, but he made himself a bond servant. He came down to earth as a, as a human being. He took a form of a slave and being found in the form of a man, of a form of a slave, he was obedient to God the Father, even to the point of death, the death of the cross. Amen? Think about this. This is how great the salvation is. That Jesus, who is equal to the Father in every way, every aspect, every shape, every form, will come down to become a man like you and me, a servant, even lower than you and me. And then willingly choose to go to the cross where he will be despised, rejected, beaten, tortured, deformed, and after all of that, he still get hanged on the cross to be our substitute and the, all the judgment and the wrath that you and I deserve because we have sinned against a holy and a righteous God. God pours out all this judgment upon his son on the cross. Amen? This is so great of a salvation. Amen? Now, if you neglect so great a salvation, guess what is left for you? There is so, what is left for you is so great a judgment if you neglect so great a salvation. Amen? If God has done so much, then the punishment will be so much. Amen? What did the author, how did the author of Hebrews describe the judgment of God right before he said, right before he said, how shall we escape if we neglect a greater salvation? Look at the phrase before that. He said that every transgression and every disobedience received what kind of reward? A just reward. What does that mean? That means that God's punishment is always in relation to the sin that is committed. Amen? So if you commit a sin that is small in a way, like you steal five dollars, there is a punishment for that. If you steal a million dollars, then the punishment is a whole lot more than the five dollars that you have stolen. Amen? If you poke somebody's eye, God said in the Old Testament, eye for eye. But if you kill a person, then you must be killed, right? They don't kill you when you poke somebody's eyes in the Old Testament under God's law. Amen? Because it is a just reward. It depends on the level of sin. The level of judgment will come. You guys are with me? But that same principle also applies. If you neglect so great a salvation, if you neglect such a salvation that is so great beyond description, guess what kind of punishment you're going to have? So great of a punishment. Amen? Amen? We talked about hell and how it looks like before. And it sounds unfathomable, the, the, the unlimited pain and torture that people will endure apart from God for all eternity. Well, guess what? It's because you neglected so great a salvation. That's why you're going to endure so great of a condemnation. Amen? Amen. Pastor Cammy, are you trying to scare me? Are you trying to play in my emotions this morning and scare me? Yes, I am. Yes. Because it's a fearful thing to fall into the hand of the living God. And if you get scared today for the sake of your eternal soul and run to Jesus, then that's really what I want. God's judgment is no joke. And if you neglect Jesus, if you say no to the blood of Christ, if you say no to the salvation that God has done for you on the cross, don't expect God to be gracious to you when you stand before Him on the day of judgment. 
He's being gracious to you right now. He's saying, come right now to me. I'll take you in. I don't care how much sin you have committed. I'll take you in. You'll be my child and I'll give you eternal life. But if you keep on insisting on rejecting the grace and the mercy of God that he's giving you day in and day out, please don't blame him when you stand before him one day and there's nothing left for you except the judgment of God. Amen? You should give the utmost heed to the message of the gospel because there is a great judgment if you don't do so. Because if you neglect such a great salvation, there is such a great judgment waiting for that. But number three, because there is such a great messenger who delivered the message. You guys are with me? Well, even in our daily lives, if you want to, the level of the importance of the message determine the importance of the messenger that carries these messages. You guys are with me? Like even if two nations are talking together, if it's a minor, you know, differences that they want to resolve, just a citizen can go and solve that problem. But if it's a big deal, like right now, Trump want to meet with Kim Jong-un, what happens that the head of the CIA goes there and try to deliver the message and sort out all the, the issues between these two leaders, right? You see, we send the head of the CIA Pompeo, because this is such a great message and we need to make sure that communication is really at the highest level and that we are talking about the same exact thing because the message is so valuable within the messenger that is so valuable. You guys are with me? And that's precisely what the author of Hebrews is telling us here. The message in the Old Testament that is proven to be legally binding, that even under that Old Testament message, God did not compromise and punish every single transgression and every single disobedience. That message was delivered by angels. But remember what he has been proving the whole first chapter, that Jesus is far more superior than all the angels, right? Jesus is God who made the angels. Angels worship Jesus. He's far more superior than Jesus. And that message of the gospel in these last days was not spoken to us by an angel. It was spoken to us by uh, Jesus himself, right? Because the message is so valuable. The, The information is so important. And you must absolutely listen to it. God did not send an angel with that message. He sent his own son with that message. Amen? Amen? How many people or entities, the author of Hebrews here say, they sent that message of the New Testament. He said it was spoken to us by the Lord, right? That's Jesus. It was confirmed by the apostles, right? The disciples of Jesus. And God himself bore witness to it through signs and wonders, right? So these are, in a way, the three entities that delivered that message to us. The Son, the apostles, and the Father, right? The Father bearing message with the Holy Spirit. Uh, signs of, and wonders of the Holy Spirit. Among these three, who's the least? Who's the, the least of the greatest? Who's the least great person in these three groups? Angels. Well, the New the, Testament the is the Lord, the Jesus, the apostles, and the Father. Who's the least among these three? The apostles, right? The apostles. The God is greatest, then Jesus, then, then the apostle. That's like even the lowest of the low among these three, right? But remember what the author of Hebrews said at the very end of chapter 1. That angels are servants ministering spirits to who? To those who will inherit salvation, right? Who's those who are going to inherit salvation? The apostles, right? So think about that. This message of the gospel was delivered by Jesus. 
and confirmed by the prophets, or, or uh, the apostles, and the Father Himself bore witness to it. The least of these three is the apostles. Yet angels who delivered the Old Testament message were servants to the least of the messengers of the New Testament message. You guys are following me? You guys are following me? Angels are servants to the apostles. Angels brought the Old Testament law and it was proven to be legally binding and every transgression received uh, a just reward for it. How much more will be the message that delivered by the one who made the angels, whom the angels worship, and who God himself, the Father, bore witness to it with supernatural manifestation of the Holy Spirit and also was confirmed by the apostles who serve as, in a way, that angels are their servants. You guys are with me? It's a great judgment because the message was delivered by a great messenger. Amen? Why should you heed today the message of the gospel? Well, let me tell you what's the message of the gospel so you can know what you need to heed. And then we're going to pray. Here is the simple message of the gospel. That you cannot reach out to God through your good works. It doesn't matter how hard you try. There is nothing you can do to offset the sins that you have already committed before a holy and a righteous God. Amen? That's why Jesus, the divine son of the living God, came down from heaven. He went to the cross. He was your substitute. He bore the penalty of your sin on the cross. And he performed so great a salvation for you. Amen. All what you have to do today is that you come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I am sorry. I have sinned against you. Come into my heart and change me. I cannot be made right with God based on my own ability. But I come to you today and rest in what Jesus has done for me. From today forward, God, just make me a brand new person. I want to be your child. This is the message of the gospel that's spoken to us by the Lord, confirmed by the apostle, and God himself bore witness to it. With signs and wonders to follow. Amen. Now you have a choice today. You're either going to heed the message. And pay the utmost heed to that message. That is God delivering to you. Or you're going to neglect that message. And you say no to what Jesus has done for you. That's your choice. Amen. Just remember this. If you say no to the gospel today. If you say, if you willingly say no to the gospel today, there is such a great of a punishment. The scripture says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Amen. The choice is yours. Let's pray.